Well, welcome to the Immigration Hour. It's great to be back with you. This is your host, Charles Cook. It has been a while, hasn't it? Um, a couple weeks, sorry. I was out of town uh, two weeks ago, and this last week I was also out of town uh, on my normal recording day, so I couldn't get my recording done, uh, and I didn't really want to record it from my iPhone. I um, this uh, I think we've got the audio finally working pretty good, and recording it from that iPhone is going to make it sound a little bad. Uh, but it's great to be with you. This is your host, Charles Cook. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, several things to talk about today. There is uh, uh, a lot going on in the immigration world, um, despite the fact uh, that uh, President Trump's in the middle of impeachment. Uh the funny part about that is I have some friends on Facebook, a lot of friends on Facebook, uh, uh, but uh, they'll say, you know, House is wasting all their time on impeachment, not doing anything. I have a couple thoughts about that. One, um, isn't that good? Uh, <laughs> when the Congress does nothing, isn't that good? Uh, two, that's just a joke. Two, uh, the House has, in fact, passed 300 bills that are sitting on uh, McConnell's desk, m- many of which are bipartisan. So curious as to what you're complaining about. I think your complaints are in the wrong place. Um, one of the bills that we want to spend some time on today uh, is Senate Bill 386. Senate Bill 386 is um, uh, the Lee bill, uh, which uh, Senator Lee has been trying to ram down the throat of Congress through a series of unanimous consent motions. Uh, and he ran up against the roadblock of uh, Dick Durbin, uh, Perhaps at this point, uh, the voice of immigration on Capitol Hill. Uh, certainly no one has more experience on immigration issues, uh, has a deeper knowledge of immigration in the Senate, and who uh, clearly has an idea of where he wants immigration to go going forward. Uh, he has never been a huge champion of H-1Bs. Uh, let's point that out. Him and Grassley have seen eye to eye on a lot of H-1B issues uh, going back uh, for a long time. Um, And he's also been a voice of reason on DACA and uh, TPS and on employment and family-based immigration. So uh, Dick Durbin is uh, about as level-headed as they come on this. He's not a nativist by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, And uh, the one thing that Dick Durbin is clearly not is a racist. Uh, And uh, his opposition to Senate Bill 386 is clearly focused on the uh, harm it would cause to smaller countries uh, going forward. Uh, When the national allocation for uh, per-country limits was put into place in 1965, we talked about this before, this was done to ensure that every country had a right to immigrate because for the 40-plus years before that, uh, immigration was limited to uh, basically Northwestern Europe. Uh, and you know, let's be clear, that's when my grandparents came in as part of that in 1929 and 1931. I'm grateful for that. Not grateful that they let everybody, kept everybody else out, but I'm grateful they was at least open to someone. Uh, and uh, the move under 386 is a big push by uh, mostly technology companies, Uh, to eliminate the per-country limit because it is causing um, something that I don't think clearly that the the purveyors of um, the national uh, per-country limit uh, had visioned in that there would be one or two countries that would send so many people 
that the lines would become infinite. Uh, that clearly was not in their thinking. They, they clearly thought they had a good program to solve prior uh, uh, per country limit dis- uh, 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 discrimination issues. And so they looked at this and said, how can we do this? Well, this is, this is the fairest one. It's fair to allocate by country. Uh, now, you would call that in the civil rights context, you could call that set-asides. Uh, you could call that re- reverse discrimination. Um, uh, some groups like to call that racism. Uh, it clearly was not intended, nor did anybody want it to be race-based. Um, because if you go back to 1965, the countries that were going to send people to the United States were still mostly European. Um, and uh, certainly the per-country limits showed their, uh, their focus and their ability to harm one specific country starting in the 1980s uh, and going into the 90s and up until today with Mexico. Uh, and that Mexicans have been waiting, that Mexico waited for decades to immigrate to the United States. And if you apply today as, for example, a Mexican brother or sister, you would not immigrate. And as an immigration lawyer, I've been telling that to clients for 25 years. Look, your brother could sponsor you. It's going to be a really, really, really long time. And today, uh, with the still not having swallowed the effects for Mexico of 245I in 1998 and in uh, 2001, uh, it's going to be a lot longer applying today, whereas the rest of the world is to what many would consider a normal wait time for brothers and sisters, let's say 14 to 15 years, and other wait times for other countries have gone down dramatically. Um, Family-based second preference um, uh, uh, for uh, spouses and minor children of permanent residents is basically almost current. Uh, The unmarried children of permanent residents is short, except for uh, Mexico, which has an extraordinarily long line. Uh, and again, these are country of birth, not country of citizenship numbers. So you look at that and you go, wow, it clearly had an effect on one country. And yet, oddly enough, nobody was screaming that it was racist. Um, it, they, were, they, they just said, we need to get rid of the limits. And AILA, American Immigration Law Association, starting long before I, while I was president, and while I was president, AILA advocated for getting rid of per-country limits because of the negative and deleterious effect that they have on uh, certain countries. Now, 3D6 comes along, and at first glance, you go, oh, this is awesome. And I did. At first glance, you look at it and you go, oh, good, it gets rid of per-country limits. But because of the way it's getting rid of per-country limits, it has a serious, dilute, serious effect on people already going through the immigration process. And it comes at a particularly inopportune time for people with DACA or those with TPS, who many of whom are in the middle, thousands of whom are in the middle of labor certifications and I-140s. Uh, so clearly per country limits is, has outlived its usefulness um, and uh, we should get rid of them. But we need to get rid of them in a way that doesn't cause massive harm to other people while still giving the benefit of shorter waiting times to people mostly from India. Um, uh, and the way the bill was, was written, unfortunately, is it only focused on employment-based immigration. So in many ways, the bill itself was racist because it only let people from one country. And China, to an extent, although China is going to become current in a few years anyway, their immigration numbers have dropped to the floor for a lot of different reasons, uh, not the least of which is Donald Trump. 
Uh, so, but India, for example, still is sending lots of people to the United States on H-1Bs, and people still want to leave the country. Uh, some people are, you know, fleeing from the world's largest democracy. You know, you, you could develop your reasons why that's happening. Um, so it needs to get rid of. Indians need to be helped. But this bill just ignored the same exact issue on telling-based immigration. Now... The supporters of 36 are saying, well, we'll come back and fix that later. But none of them have said to me on Facebook or Twitter, hey, yes, it is racist as well, just like we think it's racist against us. And therefore, we're going to change that bill and advocate for it. No, what you get was no fix ours now. Give me my food now and then I'll come back and fight for your food later if I'm if I feel like it. One of the things that I have learned through 30 years of, of being on Capitol Hill and working on bills and advocating for immigration uh, is that you don't get a second chance anytime soon. You just don't. Uh, the rallying cry from Ira, Ira, don't worry, everybody. We stopped all these changes to legal immigration. We'll come back and fix 96 next year. And that's been the rallying cry for 23 years. You don't, you don't get to go back and fix stuff that you should have taken care of in the first place. So as a lawyer, I realized, look, 386 had a great idea, which is, and it had the support of somebody that many considered to be an anti-immigration senator. And you had people like Senator Cotton and Senator Perdue who bought into it. Now, when you have the anti-immigration, and this is anti-legal, anti-illegal, this is anti-immigration senators Buying into the bill, you have to wonder, why? What is it about this bill that they don't object to? Because they object to everything. So what is it about this bill that they hate? Remember, Cotton and Purdue uh, advanced Trump's immigration bill, which was to cut legal immigration by 50%, including these employment-based numbers, and, and put it into a, a, a crazy point system so we can have PhD taxicab drivers in America. So, no, it, it, there's clearly something bad about the bill once you realize who's supporting it. Um, and uh, so what Senator Durbin did, and, and, and I think Senator Durbin is a hero, because I think he's trying to speak for everybody um, and trying to fix an immigration system that will be workable going forward that won't need to be tweaked. Now, the opposition to Senator Durbin is, well, you're stopping the bill. We had the bill pass. It was going to pass, and Trump was going to sign it, and everything was bought and paid for, and now you're stopping it. And, yeah, he did, because the bill, when it was introduced, was supposed to go to committee. It was supposed to go to committee, and it didn't. Um... And it's never been to committee. It's never had a hearing in the committee because Lee, uh, Lee, uh, who, who doesn't want to want a hearing on it, and Cornyn, who will not allow a hearing on it, he's the chair of the subcommittee, um, there's no way to get a hearing. So Durbin said, look, I'm just, just going to stop unanimous consent. And this unanimous consent happens all the time. I mean, right now, Joe Manchin is stopping every single bill in the Senate. Nobody's calling him a racist. He's stopping this bill. with his. Now, that's going to go away. And um, so what Durbin has tried to do is try to get Lee to negotiate. And it looks like, in fact, that Lee has negotiated. And we have kind of an outline of the details of what's going on. Now, we don't supposedly the bill is out there in the wind. As of the recording of this podcast, 
I have not seen the actual language of the bill, and the bill itself could be worse or better than this. But this is uh, what the parties are floating, and that's what always happens. They float this stuff out there. This is what they're floating. One, uh, the allocation of green cards, of immigrant visas, will continue according to the per-country caps until October 2020. So the bill would not be immediately effective if Trump signed it. The bill, well, let's take a step back. It would be immediately effective, but the allocation of green cards would continue under the per-country limit caps till October 1, 2020. The transition rule is the same as it was before. A 15 the first year, 10 the second year, 10 the second year for the rest, rest of the world for the first three years. Presumably, it also still has the carve-out for Purdue's uh, nurses and physical therapists. Three, the no-harm provision applies to people who got the I-140 approved prior to the enactment date, which is the date the president signs. This is what people are objecting to. That's still in the bill. So if you've got a labor cert pending, you're not protected. I know Durbin tried to get that. Hey, if you've got a labor cert pending or you're doing a labor cert in the next couple of years, you're in the United States, you should be under the old law. No, that's that, that he had to compromise on. Uh, four, people whose I-140 gets approved after the enactment date are not protected as far as the priority date is concerned. They, they, they'd be made subject to the transition rules and then no green cards for anybody from India for a decade. Um, but they can file a 485 as normal, even though they'd be subject to the, uh, the, the transition rules, if their priority date is current until October 1, 2020. If they can't get a, 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 an immigrant visa before the effective date, they will go through the transition. If they don't get approved for their green card before the effective date, then they have to go through the transition period. Now, this, of course, means with the incompetence reigning at USCIS with the long delays on cases, with the pushing back on case processing, this actually could be nothing. I mean, it would not really help people at all. Five, people who are approved after the I-140, for the I-140 after October 1, 2020, can have early filing for the 485, and they, the individual, get an employment card, advanced parole card. They'll be able to work and travel until their permit becomes current, and the EID will be for three years. Six, if the I-140 is not approved after 270 days, the applicant will also have the ability to to have early filing. So, I mean, I imagine most people are going to pay the premium processing so they can early file the adjustment application. It looks like they're doing away with concurrent filing. Again, we don't have the language little unclear about what's going on. Seven, the EAD and Advanced Pro will only be given to the primary applicant. For the dependents, they only get it if their status, L2, for example, allows for an EAD. Um, they, otherwise, they don't get it. And of course, kids don't get it. So that means while your adju- your, the principal's adjustment is pending, you would also have to maintain your underlying status. Now, that's always a good practice. You should always maintain your non-immigrant status valid for you and your family until the time your green card is approved. That's It's like having insurance in case something goes wrong. You never know. Um, and so uh, now you have to do it. You don't have a choice. Because if, if you, the principal, hey, I'm going to work on my EID, 
then you're out of luck. Now, this is going to affect portability because an L1, for example, can't port uh, to another L1 uh, without you, they just can't if it's not related, not a related company. So the L2 would expire. They're they're out of status. Uh, they, can they even file? I mean, it's unclear. Can the dependents file for the adjustment? Again, not clear because we don't have the actual language yet. Um, now, eight for nine years. For nine years, you will have five point seven percent of the green cards reserved for the rest of the world for dependents and people outside the United States. So this is another set aside. 5%, which is what, 2,000, 2,500 visas? Maybe it's average 1,000 green cards for the rest of the world uh, for the next decade. Um, and then the, the 4,400 green cards for the, the job shortage, the nurses and stuff. Um, and um, now this is a uh, lot, there's a lot of landmines here, a lot of risks. Uh, you've got Department of Labor delays. You've got, AO, you've got just, uh, USCIS delays. Uh, but basically, it's going to be a 10 to 17-year wait for a green card with EAD and advanced parole renewals every year for 10 to 17 years with a risk of denial if you lose your job. Uh, otherwise, because you, you have to go right now you're under the rules, which, which this law keeps in, um, which, which 386 did not keep in. Uh, is uh, you can do the same or similar position, and we know how tightly they're looking at that these days. Um, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting. It also, the bill um, includes, and this is there's a lot of objections to this from the people that support 36, an advertising and oversight requirement, unclear whether it's pre- and hiring, and you have to respond to the ads, whether it becomes more labor cert-like, a little unclear. Um, there's a bar on large H&L employers. So this is what's freaking people out. We're going to go to a news article here in a second. It's called the 50-50 rule. If you have more than 50 employees and 50% of your workers are on H or L visas, um, you can't use the program. You're cut off. Um, uh, you can't do labor search for your people. Um, and um, it, uh, it also more makes more wage compliance requirements for early adjustments, making it harder for H-1B employers. Um, and at least one of the, uh, one of the folks, uh, one of the groups that, that hate, that's called Durbin a racist, uh, I, that's their tactic, is to call people racist if they, support the, if they don't support the bill, when in fact they appear to be racist because they're not making the bill am affect family-based people. It's, so you know, it's, it's one of those things where they're labeling people to try to get a rise out of it, and nobody likes being called a racist, especially when they're not. Dick Durbin's no racist. Um, and uh, what you see here is their, their attacks are now being turned onto them. Uh, the... Uh, the folks that oppose this, that support the bill, the 386 bill as revision, they think it's a poison bill for Republicans uh, because, um, you know, what it does is increases the number of people with work cards, more competition for U.S. workers. Now, how Republicans and Democrats switch sides on this, I don't think they have, but how it's perceptually it's happened, I don't know. So tech's not happy about it. Um, early adjustment also is bad for uh, Indian nationals because they have no incentive to do the perm for H employees because they aren't tied to them because they might leave. Um, and 
it's uh, it looks like um, in some ways it's also better for Indian Nationals than regular 386 uh, because they now have Child Status Protection Act protections, which 386 did not have in them. Uh, and it includes the ability for job ability, which wasn't in 386. Um, and if they stop this bill, then you have Lee Widows and self-deportees, because Durban actually did something that the original bill did not that is very helpful. Now, maybe the Sports Bill had a plan to go back later and fix it. Again, you don't fix bills in any reasonable period of time. Here is an interesting article on this from uh, um, something called the Economic Times, ET. Uh, the NASCOM opposes hotlining a 386 bill in the U.S., says certain provisions have damaging effects. IT industry body NASCOM on Tuesday from New Delhi said a new bill in the U.S. that proposes to bar a section of Indian IT companies from bringing in global talent on H-1B visas would have a damaging effect on the competitiveness of American firms and creates an uneven playing field. This is interesting because they're only barring companies where they're bigger than 50 employees and they have more than 50% of their workers are H-1Bs. Um, now, the amendments, you know, talk about eliminating the precarity limits, say this, another provision will bar 50-50 companies, those with 50 employees or more in the U.S., or with 50% of their staff on H-1B work visas from bringing in more employees on H-1Bs. Vice President and Head of Global Trade Development, Shivendra Singh, said NASCOM strongly supported the removal of per-country clubs on green bills as that was the original intent of the bill. However, we strongly oppose the process being followed, um, I mean, I think they mean amended in, in American speak, and some discriminatory provisions of the bill that deal with unrelated matters of H-1Bs. Well, first of all, Grassley already had discriminatory provisions in the H-1B bill, so let's not get carried away. Um, so it was not, that was always going to be in the bill that Lee was passing to get Grassley support. Um, hotlining a bill is a procedure in the U.S. commonly used to move it quickly when the proposal is called to pass without a vote. Singh said any legislation with a significant impact should not be taken up via the expedited procedures of a Senate hotline. Senators and companies impacted by it should give a fair chance to fully understand and comment on its impacts. Um, Singh explained that S-386 will bar one part of the Indian global IT services from tapping global talent to address skill shortages and aid their U.S.-based clients, most of them being 75% of the Fortune 500 players. So now they want hearings on the bill. Well, isn't that interesting? Um, and, of course, we have uh, uh, some, uh, some stuff coming out of uh, one Twitter feed that is... Uh, about as as vile and as horrible as you could imagine um, against uh, against the kind senator, um, and we see that it's going to be um, really uh, a fight going forward to see what it is that um, uh, is going to be able to happen to to this bill going forward. I mean, uh, it looks like they're. Manchin's going to lift his hold on all bills, and and, uh, and that means this bill will come up probably in the consent, and it could come up this week. Remember, the Senate's still in session because of the um, because of the uh, budget bill, and they could in fact come up this week. Uh, so yeah, that uh, that is going to be something that uh, I think folks need to pay attention to, and um, if you think. Uh, um, 
Durbin is uh, is doing a good job. You should let him know. I will tell you at least two other senators, uh, including Senator Mike Rounds, uh, has said that uh, by removing the per-country caps, the, the, the legislation has the potential to disadvantage green card allocation for certain interests that are vitally important to South Dakota and the country. Um, and he says, I have concerns with this legislation in its current form. So that's Senator Rounds. And uh, we've got uh, Senator Blackburn from, um, uh, from uh, uh, Tennessee, uh, which is where I have a home. So Senator Blackburn is my senator, um, where uh, she also opposes the bill in its current form. And um, it'll be interesting to see um, what happens if she, in fact, uh, decides to stop it. Uh, these are both Republican senators, by the way. And uh, it, I think what we've learned is that there's, and, and we all know this, of course, anybody who's done this for a long time knows there's no perfect bill. Bills are going to get amended, even through an unanimous consent motion, unless you're naming a post office for a non-controversial person. Uh, and we are uh, kind of faced with uh, uh, with uh, the issue of, uh, is this something uh, that uh, is so unpalatable that nobody supports or it is sufficiently unpalatable for everybody so that everybody supports it. Now, isn't that interesting how that works? Um, and uh, uh, it is, uh, you know, Senate 386 is going to be a fight. If you want to be involved, uh, make sure you go on a Twitter, have put in hashtag S386, and you'll see lots of sites. Put in the hashtag no S386, you'll see lots of people to follow on there. And um, uh, don't call anybody a racist. Spill's not about race. Spill's about immigration and, and how immigration looks going forward. And when you pull up loaded terms like racist, when you use that as a way to try to intimidate somebody, all you're really doing is showing that you have no real argument. Your argument doesn't exist because you have to go right to race as an argument. And the reality is uh, there's really only one group in this country that can effectively talk about racism with any amount of dignity whatsoever. So, you know, let's, let's cool it on the race, uh, the race stuff and really focus on, you know, what we're, what is looking forward. I do want to, I, I do want to touch base on a couple other things, at least one other thing today. Uh, Joe Biden has come out with his immigration plan. Now, Joe Biden's an interesting guy in the Democratic primary because he's clearly in the middle. Um, and he is, he is not moving to the, to the left. He's just not doing it. Uh, and this is probably why Trump's afraid of him, because Biden can play to that populist message, too. Uh, Biden's doing something that Utah, uh, one of the most Republican states in the country, has asked for for a long time. Um, and one of those is something that um, uh, we focus on is that gives states and localities the ability to have petition for higher levels of immigrants to support their growth. So this would allow a state or, a, or a, a county or a city, presumably, to use part of an allocation of visas in a new visa category to bring in immigrants to work in their cities and counties and state. Um, Utah actually has a law on the books for this, uh, and I think it's a you know it's a brilliant idea, um, and uh, uh, I, I think uh, depending on how it ends up coming about, if he, he becomes president. Um, it's uh, the the and one thing that's quite clear too, is the number of employment-based visas we have, which are 140,000. 
It's not responding. It's the same number from 1990. We, we were a much smaller country then. It doesn't respond to our economy. And we know that immigrants create jobs in America. They don't take jobs from Americans. Um, so we really have to um, uh, uh, see uh, how that will help us going forward. I mean, it's, it's, it's just interesting to see that, uh, that Biden um, supports this. And um, uh, I like to think that uh, uh, with uh, Biden um, moving this forward, maybe this is something that people could get behind because it's very much a centrist idea supported by Republicans like those in Utah. Uh, and I think they'd probably pass a bill here in, the, in Georgia for the same thing. Um, and these, of course, would be merit-based visas. They would be based upon who we need in our locality to do these jobs. In some places, it would be dairy workers. In other places, it would be construction workers. In other places, it would be computer scientists. other places, it would be researchers. Um, I mean, there's lots of things that you could do with something like that. Uh, and, it, 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 and it allows the states to become the... The, the experiment place for uh, uh, the you know the, the way to kind of the experimental lab of immigration. It would be a really interesting uh, 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 change. Now, what else is going on out there? We know that the uh, that the USCIS has extended the period of comment time on uh, filing fees. Uh, I would urge you, we're going to probably do next week's show, which will be Christmas Eve, probably do that on filing fees, kind of walk through them and see what they are now and what they're going up to. Keeping in mind, we, we, they made huge number increases about six years ago, um, and at least parts of this, uh, of this proposed regulation are illegal. I mean, you can't, it's, not, it's just not legal to take money from user fees and spend it for services with another agency, as these guys want to do. Um, so there you go. That's our show for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, I hope you're preparing for the holidays. Uh, if you celebrate Christmas, I hope you are out buying gifts and improving the U.S. economy. Um, and if you're not celebrating Christmas, I would hope you're still buying stuff and uh, accelerating the U.S. economy. If you have any questions or comments on the show, you can reach out to me on Twitter at CKUCK. Um, you can also email me at Chuck at immigration.net. Good to be with you next week. Uh, again, we're talking about the fees, and maybe we'll be talking about they passed S386 or defeated S386. But until next week, this is your host, Charles Cook of the Immigration Hour.